Hey fellow fraud fighters, a big welcome to the Seon Cat and Mouse Show, where we'll look to get into the mindset, thinking and learnings of the hardest working group of heroes we know, the fraud fighting professional. And on alternative shows, we'll dive into the opposite world of current or ex-fraudsters to get a real insight into what's driving them to do what they do. And ultimately, we'll be trying to best work out who's the real cat and mouse here. So a very big welcome to the Say on Cat and Mouse show. Um, today we've got a bit of a special one. We've got ourselves Anonymous B, um, who again we've sourced uh, via the dark web. And we're going to be covering operational security or OPSEC, coined after um, the Vietnamese War, coined by the US military. This is a, a really big topic, but we want to drill in on uh, how OPSEC is important for, strangely, the people that are uh, on the other side of the fence, the criminals and hackers, and how they look at it. So first of all, um, Anonymous B, a very big welcome to the show. Thank you for taking some time to talk to us. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for inviting me, and happy to be here to share some thoughts about OPSEC. Well, let's uh, take it from the top for the audience then. Maybe in a sentence or two, what does OPSEC mean to you as an active um, uh, fraudster? So for me, it's basically not to get caught, first and foremost have to stay under the radar of the law enforcement agencies, have to continue my operation remotely, and just keep making money without thinking about going to prison. You know, we were talking a little bit before uh, hitting the record button, uh, because this topic is massive, right? It's like you said, it's how you conduct your communications, it's how you uh, have your whole uh, business run. But we're talking about even some topics like money laundering and what you do with cash on the back end. It really, uh, this is the, I would say, the most critical component of uh, your digital life, right? Yeah. Obviously, if you are involved in any kind of cyber criminal activity, you have to take care of it. Otherwise, you won't make it, at least not long term. But there are a lot of people out there trying to make money from fraud. And they just get caught after a few months because they don't invest any time and energy into making the operation safe and undetectable. You know, there's a lot of uh, different levels of um, fraud skills out there. But one thing we continually see in the criminal world is low-level uh, criminals or fraudsters often get caught. What would you say are the classic mistakes those uh, low-level fraudsters make in terms of OPSEC? I think definitely the cyber criminal activity is the first mistake. And of course, the only mistake you have to make to get your path to the jail or prison is connecting your real-life identity to whatever you do. Let it be you order something to your own home address with a stolen credit card, or let's say you order to reception where they know you. Or you order, let's say, a blank card, which then you purchase a dump, and then you write your dump information on this card. You go to an ATM, which is in an area full of CCTVs, and then you make your home visible in front of the CCTVs. There are a lot, a lot of ways to get caught. So definitely hiding your tracks, hiding your identity, not connecting. These two words, I think, are the most important of all OPSEC. And that's what basically what OPSEC means in this cyber criminal world. Okay, let's drill into that a little bit more. So you've got your two identities. Can you talk us through some of the things that you think about when setting up um, your criminal digital identity? How do you think about that from a technology point of view? Sure. My activities are purely based on digital transactions, digital activities. I don't do anything in person or, let's say, offline. First and, yeah, first of all, I think anyone who is interested in this industry should do their homework before jumping into it. So I actually spent like two or three months just studying OPSEC. How you can avoid cops knocking on your front door. It's something you have to always allocate specific time on, your, let's say like on your whole activities, based on what you see, what you can improve. First of all, when you talk about cyber fraud, of course it's happening everything online. 
So what you can do to not reveal your own IP address, which is basically coming from your home or your mobile network that is probably under your name. So definitely it's not enough just to sign up for a VPN provider and then think you are safe because there are much, much more other ways to get caught. So just the VPN won't protect yourself. First of all, you have to think about even the main internet access where you go on, the, let's say publicly, shouldn't be anyhow connected to your own identity. So even if you use VPN, Tor, I2P, any kind of anonymizing network, you can still go through, let's say there's a slim chance of these, let's say layers, could be a honeypot set up by law enforcement. So in the end, it shouldn't be your own internet connection which you use. So you might think of, okay, you're going to a public place, but you will use a public internet connection. Not a good idea. Why not? Because CCTVs. You will be on CCTV. If you sit there, if you work there, you will get caught. Just take as an example the case of the Silk Road founder. He was caught in a library. He was using the library internet connection. So what you can do if you cannot use Wi-Fi or your own internet, I would strongly suggest getting a burner phone. Get a burner phone which you purchase with cash from someone who doesn't know you. Let's say go to a second-hand phone shop. Pay cash for a smartphone, and then you should get SIM cards. SIM cards from a store or second-hand even, it's possible. Do not buy from eBay or any place where then, if the real one will ever be traced back, they can share your details that you get your SIM card from them. So this SIM card, which is not connected to your name, you should use a SIM card which is pay-as-you-go. You can top up with virtual credit cards, which would also not be connected to your name. There are a lot of virtual card providers which can be topped up by Bitcoin. So basically, you top up your Bitcoin, uh, you top up your card with Bitcoin, untraceable. You top up with this card, your SIM card, untraceable. And then you use in this phone the SIM card, and then you can share your Wi-Fi as mobile hotspots with the computer, or you can use the phone for your activity. But most importantly, the device cannot be tracked back to you, and neither can the internet connection. And then you can think about how to layer up your protection. You can use VPN, make sure you use the VPN which doesn't keep logs, and then you should use Tor or I2P. If you access any kind of, let's say, marketplace, or you access any kind of exchange. Well, it's not easy to do, but there are a lot of specific operation systems that you can use to avoid being traced back. Obviously, you should never use your operating system, or even not the same computer which you use for your daily activity, for your normal life. So think about you completely isolate your fraudster cell phone, and you isolate your personal cell for anything not related to how you earn money. So definitely, as I said, not just the mobile device, but if you work on a computer, I strongly suggest to get a secondhand computer somehow, in a way where even the seller cannot trace it back to your own identity. Meet in a place where there are no CCTVs, pay by cash, contact the seller. If you have to contact from this burner phone, make sure that your identity will never be revealed. So there's operation systems, which I would suggest to use. There is one very, very good system called Hoonix, W-H-O-N-I-X. Basically, this works with a real-time machine setup. You have two real-time machines. One of the real-time machines is a gateway machine. So this gateway machine basically channels through your computer internet connection through Tor. So on the second real-time machine in which you use your activity, you can be sure that it will not go through in any way to your normal desk computer internet connection because the other real-time machine is acting like, let's say, a router or a switch when the internet goes through Tor. So your main computer with everything you do will go through Tor. That's nice. That's important. But as I said, it's not enough, because Tor is layering through three servers. If all the three servers are honeypots, and there are a lot of honeypots on Tor network, then they can still reveal your identity. But the good news is that if you use a mobile network that is not connected to your identity, then you could be quite safe. So I would say this way you can have a setup where you have a quite secure system going through Tor VPN on the main desktop, and then to a mobile network which is not connected to your name. And of course, some people might say, that's okay, but the cell phone towers will still triangulate your network based on the location. 
Well, I would suggest then, if you take it really seriously, you can stay in a car and go in a city continuously to hop cellular towers. But this is basically, the radius so that they can locate you is almost one mile. So I'm located, that's about 50,000 people living in a one mile radius. So I would say that there is no chance, or this is a risk which I'm happy to take by residing in the same location, doing the operation from the same place. So yeah, setting up your computer in this way makes it quite secure. That's really mind-blowing to hear that level of detail. And I guess that's why this falls under a military discipline, right? Operation security, because it takes that kind of detail, planning, massive hassle, I imagine, right? There's many layers to build up that security. And funnily enough, like you, you mentioned a couple of things of uh, choosing... Uh, I don't know, secondhand shops, vendors where there is no CCTV. So you're kind of needing to find low-tech people that aren't necessarily recording or care um, enough where you're able to conduct an anonymous transaction in cash and then layering that on top of other networks, whether it's Tor, whether it's you know moving, like you said, even location. I just, wow, I, I can't imagine how someone on the reverse of that could work out someone's position if you're using a SIM card with no trace to to yourself as well. One question I also had um, as you as you gave that detailed description with uh, VPNs, you mentioned an important thing. So you know, your one another checklist item is making sure you're using a VPN provider that doesn't log. How do you verify any of this kind of stuff? Is that via say other fraudsters in the community that are kind of vouching? Because you can never really tell, right? It's a third party service. Some say they don't log, but I wonder how you verify that. So there is a publicly available list originating from reddit.com where they collect all the VPN providers that are listed out in real life, whether they store or are not storing logs. So I think the community is doing a favor for every fraudster with this sheet. But as I said, VPN is just one layer. So then you should have Tor or E2P in front of that. And as for what's what on the other end, the internet connection, because you have to think about that. Even if they say no logs, it doesn't mean anything. You have to still be safe and just think about, hey, there's no single point of failure in your operation. Because if you have, then you can get effed. And on a practical level, if you, you're going to that level of the, the different types of connections, I imagine the actual use of uh, what you're trying to do online, is that not like impractically slow? Like from actually doing anything, if you're going via a VM, you know, some sort of virtual machine as well on an alternative device? Yeah, definitely. It's not as fast as if you would use your home connection. But in the last couple of years, actually, thanks to 4G and thanks to the upgraded Tor network, and of course, VPNs got quite fast too, it doesn't really cause any problems. I think five megabits per second is something which we can live with. But definitely, it's not something for, let's say, for streaming or stuff like that. So forget that. Basically, you have to access single pages and, you know, do the like, let's say, like the very basic stuff. So it doesn't really block you and you can do a lot of things parallel. So if you were worried about waiting on how many pages, you can have two computers with three different hotspots and then just do things parallel until the pages load. But I usually say like five megabits with this setup, which is enough for me to buy the stuff I need and sell the stuff I'm selling. And also in the meantime, do what I need to to make a living. The most effective fraudsters, by definition, are exceptionally good at OPSEC, but they're also considered um, a bit like ghosts in the system, right? They're not traceable. They don't leave kind of uh, signs of themselves and... They're really good at concealing. And then that's kind of part of the reason why they're so effective. But they're so effective. And that's also how they're making, uh, you know, whatever criminal proceeds they are. How do you balance that uh, from your point of view of being a ghost in the system, if you like, not being able to be picked up, but at the same time, working in a, in a world where you're trying to attract new business <laughs> as well? You, you know, you're, you're, you're offering your services. Uh, and so you must market somehow. How do you balance the two 
kind of conflicting ideas. Yeah. So I think what's important here, if you have a brand name as a vendor, or let's say just a Telegram ID, definitely you should switch to another account when you feel it's the right time. But what I recommend and what I do is usually switch my accounts and profiles every two or three years. But how I do it is like kind of, you know, for existing customers or people I trust, I still maintain or forward them to my new contact details. But I really don't want to like stay on the radar with the same ID for 20 years of law enforcement agencies. So I have to switch in a while and then I slowly translate to the new accounts. New ID. But yeah, the regular customers will be forwarded to my new account because I just feel that if I'm going to keep using my ID for 20 years, maybe they would get to know more and more about it. Of course, you have to think about also that your buyers, not just the sellers, can be law enforcement as well. They can try stuff, they can buy stuff, they can actually do everything in their power to trace you back. So whatever you do, you have to think about, you know, Never connect your real identity to the one you use on the dark web or the one you operate with on these forums. There's a saying which goes, do not shit where you eat. I think that's really applicable here. Yeah, when we read logs of famous cases where people, like over a decent amount of time, like months and months, if not years, where some uh, law enforcement has managed to get in and uh, build up a personal relationship with a fraudster, you can see the logs and it's kind of like they very much go into the, they're becoming friends, you know, online. And there's just a little slip of a, a personal detail, whether it's a location or a landmark or like a sports uh, name where it gives, it starts allowing kind of a, the, the, the fed, fed, federal authorities to start zeroing in on even what geolocation are they even talking about? What's the, you know, the background of a person. Imagine if there is 3 billion people out there, sorry, 7 billion people out there. If you say location, a city, let's say, you basically go down to like 2 million people to find out who you could be if you're located in the city. And of course, you can always give like false hints to anyone, but I think it's the best is to like, you know, not to share anything. And then you won't cause any problems for your long term. Oftentimes, like little words that only someone from that area would say, bit of a colloquial word, which is, you know, something that maybe a Scottish person would say. And so it was, it was kind of like little slips of the tongue. But I, I, the, the other thing I remember thinking about was these logs, when reading them, you know, the, the fraudsters are obviously human as well. And they're talking about very human things. Um, and maybe late at night, they're lonely. And, you know, they're talking about a TV show together. It's something as random as that. Yes. Don't share anything personal. Don't share what you like to watch. Don't share your time zone. Don't share any landmarks. Just do that just for your own safety, especially if you communicate and interact. Even if you know someone for a long time, say years, you can never know. Anyone can be a honeypot, as I said. And you know, the most trustworthy people, because actually it's possible that, and it's happened before, that other fraudsters give up other fraudsters. And it's just because to save some of their own time, you know, giving up bigger fish is always an option to reduce your own sentence. You can start to work for law enforcement, and then you can keep doing what you did, not actually the fraudulent activities, but you network like someone becomes inactive for a few months and then becomes active again. It's always a red flag. You know, why was someone inactive for a few months? What happened in the meantime? And then if they start to ask questions, you can be suspicious. So just keep to yourself and keep your circle really small. And of course, this connects to your real life because it's not enough to be secretive and discreet online when you are carrying out these activities. But in real life, you should never ever mention anyone you are involved with. If you mention anyone, that's a risk you took. There's a chance that person will be sharing that information, and then the other person is shared with someone and you just gave yourself up. So don't, I mean, it's incredible. It's even harder than actually keeping these secrets online in this cyber communal world because it's easy. If you chat with someone, you don't share where you are. If you want to do it as a full-time job, then you have to have a cover. What are you doing on your computer? What's your job? 
how do you make the money, etc. You have to build and invest time into building up what people have to believe of you, how you earn the money. What do you do? Make sure that no one will raise questions or aspects of you that can lead to suspicion, and even if they like you, if they put together the puzzles, the, the puzzle pieces, then it can be potentially harmful for your own self. Uh, for me, I, I take away a lot from this conversation the high level of discipline needed in all elements of, it's almost like hygiene of how you look after, how you uh, conduct yourself in this separate digital life. And I can see actually, you know, we kind of started off with, hey, what do low-level fraudsters typically get caught for when uh, they when they screw up OPSEC? But actually hearing how detailed and how thoughtful all these little steps are, I can actually see this, you know, lots of people can slip and it's not obvious things like, hey, I'm from this city. It's little things that all add up to someone being able to give away. And because it takes so much discipline, it sounds like. Exactly. It's very easy to slip if you don't think. I would say. Any kind of universal operational security tips that you think would make the average um, person out there conduct their online biz uh, online interactions in a safer way? What, what OPSEC tips should we all be using? Sure. Use a different password everywhere. Actually, I don't recommend like to use password managers because we've seen exploits, but there are some on the market quite reliable as of now. Set up a password like, you know, you have a special chain of characters and you put like a dot in the domain name where you registered with that. So you can have a unique password for every site. And if you get breached, you know which site they stole the password from. I would suggest also to use prepaid or disposable credit cards on not very trustworthy places. So don't register to, I'm not talking about like, you know, like Amazon or big marketplaces. They're quite trustworthy. But when you see a new web store anywhere, don't give up your credit card details. Don't give up your social security numbers. Enter some fake data first. If you are not sure whether it's a real site or not, or if you if you want to be sure, yeah, use a disposable card or a prepaid card. VPN, it's not a bad idea. So if you want to keep your identity from the trackers and sites, VPNs are doing their job, obviously. Using browsers like Brave, or there are a few others which can help you just to avoid, you know, placing um, their, their websites, placing tracking or other types of cookies and capturing data points from your device and browser, which can be used to re-identify you re-accessing the site, are also very helpful. So I would strongly recommend to exercise these if you want to just make it harder to use your profile as an asset for marketing and other purposes. There are a lot of tools and ways out there to make your life more safe on the internet. So I strongly recommend these browsers, proxies like VPNs, and just common sense. That's the most important. And that's really helpful. Thank you, Anonymous B, for sharing that. So our podcast is the Seon Catamouse podcast. And I'm curious, uh, for you, Anonymous B, who do you consider between the active fraudster and the fraud fighter, who the cat and the mouse is, and why? I would say, of course, fraudster would be the mouse, and the fraud fighter or anyone who is trying to catch the fraudster will be the cat. Yeah, it might be the other way, but that's my opinion and my personal belief. Okay, appreciate it. Thank you for uh, yeah going into the OPSEC topic. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's show. At Seon, our whole startup is 100% focused on helping you, the hardworking fraud manager, fight fraud with tools that are intuitive and fully complement your existing risk tech stack. Check out our website where you can get started on a free trial and be up and running in 30 seconds or less.